Welcome to the Jewelry District, a podcast by JCK. Today, Rob Bates and Victoria Gamalski talk with Mark Smelzer, Chief Content Executive of Jewelers Mutual and JCK's former publisher. Hey everyone, welcome to the Jewelry District. This is Victoria Gamelski, Editor-in-Chief of JCK and jckonline.com, calling in from good old LA, and I'm with... Rob Bates, News Director of JCK and JCK Online, calling in from good old New York, New York. New York, New York, are you still under a blistering heat wave? Yeah, it's weird, I haven't been out in like a couple of days, I've been like... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I believe so, yes, from what I hear. Or Rob, I guess it's probably best when it's so sort of... Yeah, I know, I need to get out of the house, you're, you're right. I am right, I am right. It's August, I can't believe it's August. It's like July always feels like it crawls along in the jewelry world because news feels kind of slow and everybody's out on vacation, but then August hits and you're like, where did July go? I have no idea. We're barreling towards September and suddenly the fall and good Lord, it'll be the holidays and then January. I mean, life just flies. Yeah, and then back to summer. Back to summer, exactly. 2023 summer, here we come. Anyway, we have what I unequivocally can say is a family member on today's podcast. And in fact, many people know us this way, but he is my ex-husband, not my official romantic ex-husband, but my professional JCK ex-husband. And we are had the most amicable divorce ever. And I still miss him dearly, though he's still in my life. Many of you will know him or do know him and love him like I do. And of course, it's Mark Smelzer, JCK's former longtime publisher, now the chief content executive at Jewelers Mutual Group. Mark, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. What a what a lovely introduction. <laughs> it's true. We we met and you can maybe talk a little bit about your history, of course, with the magazine. We will ask you, but we met way back, I want to say it was 2005. Does that Sound right? 2005, you strolled across the lobby at that hotel that they used to put everybody up in in Verona during the Vicenza Oro show. So it was winter of five. And I was like, who's that? And I said, oh, that's Victoria Gamelsky. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, she seems really cool. <laughs> Oh, that that was exa- I remember that meeting as well. I remember sitting there and having dinner with you and then it just well, kicked what off. Was she, uh, she just walking. She seemed cool. Like, was there anything? She yeah, was doing she just had this cool vibe. I was like, oh, she's cool. Oh, okay. <laughs> Rob, you, do, you don't notice that every time you see me walking over. To you? I, I, I'm a little disappointed that I did not obviously give off the same vibe like, oh, <laughs> I mean, we didn't say you didn't, Rob. No, didn't. I don't remember I'm the first saying, time I saw you walk across the lobby, Rob. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> have to say. <laughs> well, that meeting in 2005 kicked off a long, many years relationship of us being sort of finding ourselves in amazing spots around the world. We don't have to linger there. But of course, as I said in my introduction, Mark's a dear friend. He, We worked together for many years. Rob actually worked with Mark for many years before I joined the magazine. I joined JCK in 2010. So I guess that's all a nice segue to tell us how you got in this business. Mark, what's your background? We know it, but a lot of people don't. This crazy business we call jewelry. We'll go back. I was uh, in 
the magazine business. I was a magazine ad sales guy and I was in Los Angeles selling for various magazines there and sort of by luck as much as anything else, I became the publisher of a city magazine called Buzz. It went under and I jumped to one of the few really big publications that was also based in Los Angeles, which was Variety, the entertainment trade. But I was still selling consumer advertising. And eventually that led me to New York in 2001. And in 2004, there was this big shakeup at the company that published Variety, which was a collection of trade magazines called Read Business Information, no longer even exists. And they came to me and they said, you're now the publisher of JCK. So I literally thought, all right, you know, keep your head down. Don't overreact. You'll get your resume out on Monday and just be cool. But right away, I realized that there was a lot that I could add that I could bring to the table in terms of JCK itself. There was a lot of knowledge and uh, experience that I had that would really make a difference. And the magazine at the time was based out in Pennsylvania. And so they actually put me in a town car and drove me all the way to Pennsylvania, which is so silly when I think about it. And I had to go in and say like, hey, I'm the new publisher. And by the way, we're closing the office. It was a crazy beginning, but I'll never forget Hedda Shupak, who was the editor in chief at the time, came up to me and she said, Welcome to the jewelry business. It's not unlike the Hotel California. You can check in anytime you like, but you can never leave. <laughs> and at the time I thought, oh, please, you know, and that was 2004. So that was a long time ago, 18 years ago. Recent words. Thanks, Head. I don't know if I've ever heard that particular yeah. anecdote. That's funny. Yeah. And then, and then the really cool thing was, so that was right after JCK. So it was like mid-June. And, you know, there were still the big New York events back then in July. And so the very first event I went to was the Circle of Distinction. And I walked in knowing no one. And all of a sudden, Bill Farmer from Lexington, Kentucky came up to me and he said, hi, who are you? You know, and I introduced myself and I said, I'm the new publisher of JCK. And he said, you're the new publisher of JCK. We want to meet you. And I literally did the thing where I turned to the unseen audience and was like, really? Like, what? They care? Because no one had ever wanted to meet me in any other job like that. So that was my introduction to how warm and friendly and tight an industry this is. And that, that was also another really early turning point where I thought, okay, I think I like it here. I remember because you seemed, you know, there's certain people who come into the jewelry industry and they have really good resumes and you think, okay, that person's going to go somewhere else. And usually those are the people who end up staying. I remember you had a good resume. Thank you. And that, that has been the case. And I, you know, I did leave briefly and regretted at the moment I did and thankfully got recruited back. So never to leave again. What were your first impressions of the business of the industry and on the whole in 2004? What did you think of jewelry? Well, you know, I knew very little of it. I didn't really buy any jewelry. I had no woman in my life that I would buy jewelry for, you know, um, I certainly admired pretty jewelry. I didn't have much of a relationship with it at all. So it was a real learning curve. It was fascinating. And, and, you know, so much has changed in 18 years. I mean, back then it was way more traditional. It was way more male dominated. I think that's fair to say. And, you know, it was still in the era of the industry where it's sort of like jewelry, you know, made and distributed by men for men to buy for women. Right. That was sort of a little shocking. It was a little like, wow, that's a revelation. But at the same time, it was this warm, friendly, engaged industry with people who were really passionate. There was a real there there, 
you know, and it was fascinating to see. And you, I think you once told me that selling for JCK is very different than selling for other kinds of publications, just because you're dealing with the business owner. Yes, that's right. So, you know, I used to go on sales calls and when I first started selling consumer advertising, the ad agencies still had media departments within, but even then you went to the ad agency and then you went to the, you know, the media buyer and you might have like a half hour meeting or something and you built your relationships with them. And they were always very protective that you not go directly to the client. And if you did, you would likely get admonished. So you, you, you know, you did that very, very, very infrequently, only when you thought you really had something that might not be getting through from the agency. And when I first started going on sales calls with the JCK sales staff, which I smile as I say that because I have fond memories of those early days, we were going into companies and sitting down with the owner and talking about their business. And the calls would go on for an hour. And at first I was like, what? An hour? You know, but soon kind of realized like, oh no, this is great because you're really getting to know the owner or, or the real top principles in the company and you're understanding what a commitment advertising is for them. It was very, very exciting. And it was also different too, because when you would sell consumer advertising, you would be part of a media buy. So, you know, Volkswagen's coming out with a new Jetta and they're going to have a huge print campaign and these 16 magazines made the buy. So Volkswagen might measure like, did that advertising work? But they wouldn't really know if my magazine, which was Buzz Magazine at the time, made any difference. It was part of a, a greater whole. Whereas when we would work with someone and get them to advertise in JCK, it was really fun because they would immediately say like, wow, this is working. This is producing. Let's do more. Or this was so successful for me. We would go in and someone hadn't been advertising for a while and they would say, you know, I have to admit, I stopped advertising. I tried to save the money and the phones got quiet. So you've got this real like sense of contribution. You really, it really felt like you were making a difference with these companies. Just as you talk, I think about all these golden years of media oh. and how much all that's changed. You had a front row seat to this evolving, you know, state of, of print media, especially. Tell me a little bit about how you saw that evolve, especially as retailers, you know, needed to understand it. I mean, our print magazines, ours, JCK, clearly down to one print issue a year, but still very much a vibrant, strong, important issue. Do retailers still need print or do you think content has just moved entirely to the digital realm? So it's not, you know, this is going back for any of our time, but, you know, of course, there was a similar sort of shift when television came out on a mass level and the weekly oversized publications like Look and Life, you know, really took a hit because they were where most of the consumer goods were promoting their stuff. And then suddenly television came in and, and the same thing happened with print. And, you know, it's like I always joke, it's sort of like, I don't know, I feel like I got into the horse and buggy business in 1904. And by 1922, there were 7,000,000 Fords on the road. It was really interesting to enter this business that when I did was still rocking and rolling. Things were still really jamming in 2004. It was still a big, it, JCK did 12 million a year in print. You know, you remember the issues were like 400 pages. You remember we used to lay the issue out and walk the issue throughout the office and it would go like up one hallway, down another, up another, into somebody over to buy interior design, you know. And so it has been fascinating to be part of the end of an era. You know, but then in terms of print, print as the, you know, as a primary mass communication vehicle, you know, is no more. I don't know if you guys heard recently that 
even People magazine is now going out of print. And you yeah. can see it like when you go to the grocery store now, as you're checking out, there's no more magazines. There's just like the history of the Hindenburg or something, right? Like there's like these time life sort of history publications, but the, the magazine is largely gone. That said though, there are a few areas where print still resonates. And the thing about print that I do miss is that advertising was really welcome in print. Whereas in television, people found the, you know, the commercials annoying online in some areas, people can find the ads sort of annoying in print. It was always part of the experience. You know, you get your vanity fair and the first five minutes we're going through all those gorgeous, gorgeous ads in the front of the magazine. It was just, it was like a, it was a very welcome way to advertise. Where print still resonates, like some city magazines, some niche books, like you say, the, the one beautiful issue of JCK before the show, some of the catalogs you get. I mean, you guys both have kids as well that Amazon brilliantly brought like a wish book back with the toys at Christmas time. And, you know, no one goes through that. Like I used to go through the Sears catalog, right? And, oh, I know that catalog. We yeah, exactly. And penned up in our household. Yeah, that darned catalog. So there are times when print really makes sense and so yes print is not dead but boy did it morph and change if you're a fan of podcasts you know that listener reviews help make them possible please rate review and subscribe to the jewelry district wherever you may listen and now back to the show when did and maybe this is a question for both Mark and Rob. When did content become the thing? Like when I don't even remember when that word became the thing that we all need to. It's like we, we weren't writing stories anymore. We were writing content, and that felt like a gradual shift. But when I started writing about jewelry in in two thousand, I don't. I remember writing articles. I guess it's this greater shift to content marketing, which maybe you know, you can certainly speak to more. And also I'd love to hear you talk about what it means to the business owner, to retailers, why it's important to be on top of that, because that's what you do at Jewelers Mutual now. Yeah. So I think it's when content for different purposes or writing for different purposes started to ascend, you needed this word that lived above articles in magazines or articles in a newspaper that sort of encompassed all. And the corner that was turned, and I don't know exactly when it happened, or the bar that was lowered, or whatever metaphor you want to use, was when the ability to print something, the bar dropped, right? You you know, you could just type it on a computer and paste it on the internet. You no longer needed to find a printer. And then how are you going to ship those physical objects in a truck? And where will the point of distribution go? So if you remember, the mafia ran the newsstands, you had to pay, you know, it was like, it, it was crazy. The whole newsstand thing was crazy. And, you know, all that like vanished the minute the internet really became usable. And I guess, you know, people could actually just put content online. Then suddenly you could use content for all different purposes. Well, so Mark, tell us what the Zing Report is, because that's your chief content vehicle at Jewelers Mutual. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So in April of 2000, and where, where are we? We're in 22. <laughs> in April of 21, <laughs> I joined... <laughs> That pandemic, I tell you, I keep thinking we're still in 2020. At any rate, in 2020, April 2021, I joined Jewish Mutual as chief content executive. And in this role, I'm overseeing all the different types of content that we have at the company, for the most part, not everything. There are certain areas of content that, that I and Emily Vesseland, who you know well, uh, we both love, uh, we all three love. Our former wonderful senior editor, Emily Vesselin. Yes. You, yes, yes. You poached her from us. I did poach her. We, we called you together and 
apologized. No, it's fine. I like to say poached because it makes me feel um, like a victim. But no, <laughs> you, you gave her an offer she couldn't refuse. We love Emily. She still writes for JCK's pro section. So there is absolutely a wonderful relationship that carries on. So I just like to joke. But yes, she, yes. Left, she left and joined you uh, last summer, the summer of 21. Yeah. And so she and I have certain areas of content that we oversee. But the very first content project I came up with upon arrival was the Zing Report. And the genesis of it is that Jewish Mutual has this really wonderful platform called the Zing Marketplace. It is a central place, a collection, a suite of services for the retailer. And, and then I should really go back a little bit to when Scott Murphy came on, I think six years ago as the CEO. Since his arrival, Jewish Mutual has been expanding beyond just insurance and looking into different services that we can provide and different ways that we can help the industry at large. One of them, for example, is a shipping service that was extant, but not being run as well evidently as we run it. It was purchased and brought into the fold. And we now have this shipping service that thousands of retailers use and people in the industry use. And we've got a care plan. It's a warranty program. We, of course, we have all of our insurance programs and they're all hubbed on this marketplace. My task, as content executive was to raise awareness of the Zing marketplace and keep that Zing name out there. So I thought, well, I, I do know how to run a, an industry, a B2B publication. And I looked at the landscape and you know, obviously you guys knock it out of the ballpark and own it pretty much in terms of news. Michelle at National Jeweler also does a fantastic job, but you know that's two online publications that have got it covered in terms of news. And Trace over at InStore does an amazing job of covering you know, literally what you do in your store. The lane that I saw was one of sort of upbeat, celebratory, good news articles. And so the tagline is celebrating our industry. We talk about trends, we talk about people, we do bring in content from the Jewelers Mutual side, that we call JM Intel, advice on security and the like, you know, things like that that you would expect. Emily's doing a bang up job of it. We've grown from, you know, zero to, I think we're almost now at 10,000 page views. We've got a weekly newsletter and it's fun. Just all great examples of trying to create content that people really want to read, that people will want to engage with. And in the process, keep your brand out there to help define your brand and then on occasion, give you a platform to communicate other stuff. In the last coming up on a year and a half that you've been with Jewelers Mutual, what kind of content is like resonating with your readers, with readers of the Zinger Report? What do you think are the biggest issues that people are concerned with today? Well, you know, it's interesting because we don't get into the controversies and the bad news so much, right? So it's, it's, it's kind of a different vibe of stories. But people love Emily's, you know, when she talks about trends, when she talks about design, when we actually feature jewelry, those kind of articles always really do well. People articles really do well. It just sort of the stuff that we focus on is what also performs well for us. But we don't do like the controversial, like this, there was this robbery or this guy's in being indicted. And, you know, sometimes I kind of wish we could because it doesn't really fit with our brand. But that I remember from JCK, those articles get a lot of read. Bleeds it leads, right? That's I mean, right. <laughs> so, I mean, you've seen kind of the bird's eye view of this industry for a long time. And uh, obviously the last two years have been amazing as far as sales. And I think nobody expected the, the pandemic to kind of work out for the industry the way it 
It has. What's your sense of will that big rush keep going? I think I'm with everybody else that we're sort of holding our breath to see what's going to happen. Optimistically, it feels like the pandemic reminded a lot of people of the emotional side of jewelry purchase and jewelry possession, right? And that's something that we all know in this industry that sets it apart from other industries, that there is an emotional connection with a physical object that really doesn't occur elsewhere. And yes, we all thought, oh my gosh, the last thing anybody's going to buy during a pandemic is jewelry. But partly because there were fewer things to buy. And the, the pandemic sure did prove that people like to buy things regardless of what's going on. They like to continue to buy things. There's a joy of acquisition that is undermines capitalism that is very real. That acquisition segued over into jewelry, partly because other lanes were blocked, but also partly because it was an emotional time and it was a time when people were focusing on core values. And I remember, you know, articles that you wrote, Vic, and everybody was writing these articles of the jewelry that was selling well during the pandemic was jewelry on emotional themes, right? Mm -hmm. Jewelry on love, jewelry on connection. So then the hope going forward is, did that reignite a love of jewelry among consumers that's going to withstand the pressures we were up against before? Or as those lanes open and you can take your wife to Paris for your 25th anniversary and you can take the family on safari and you can go to the fancy restaurant, will we go back to where we were? Or hopefully, you know, will the industry be in a better place than it was because there was this mass sort of reminder of the emotional connection to jewelry? Well, what do you think the industry could do better to bolster its chances in an uncertain economy? I mean, what do you think are some of the biggest weaknesses that this industry has to overcome? We're doing this leadership retreat, Jewelers Mutual, in Park City, and we're going to be focusing on sort of the future of retail and future of customer experience. And I'm excited to see the reaction to the presentations. I've actually seen the simpler version of the presentation to our board in Nina, and it definitely rattled people and had people thinking like, what? Well, we got to, you know, okay, there's a lot of change coming. Simply put, I think the industry could be more digitally savvy. I'm certainly not alone in that belief. I think that we could, you know, do a better job of, of going in and out of digital from your store in and out of digital and onto the web and back into your store and kind of have it be like a seamless thing and, and a little bit less based on the traditional model. And then, you know, I still believe in, and, and trust me, I mean, I, I, I don't mean to sound arrogant, but there are a few people who, who got as close to the challenge of this as I have when I was raising money for a test from Jewelers of America of a Got Milk style ad campaign. There are huge Huge challenges to get the industry to fund something like that. But I do think that's something that the industry could do better. I do think that, you know, the that campaign, that agency, it was Kramer Crassel out of Milwaukee and it was their CK something, it was their digital division, and they did their own research and they came up with a tagline about jewelry writ large. The tagline was another piece of your story. I thought that was really brilliant. Well, back up for a second. What was that campaign? Remind us, because that was Jay, Jewelers of America. Yeah, so it was back, you know, not to get into the weeds, but it was back when I was, you know, part-time JCK and part-time consulting. And Jewelers of America came to me and said, you know, Dave said that they wanted to do a test of a Got Milk style ad campaign and would I help them raise some funds. And so we raised about $250,000 and we did this test of the campaign that Kramer Crassel came up with called Another Piece of Your Story. And, you know, it was like we did pre and post research on targeted areas in five markets. And it was, you know, mainly just a banner campaign 
it was all digital, a lot of social media as well. And as I remember correctly, the, the, the campaign moved the needle in the areas where it was focused and among the people whom they did pre and post awareness, you know, what's your perception of jewelry? It, it did work. Anyway, and then the pandemic came along and it was put on the shelf and then everybody had a robust two years, so we didn't need it. <laughs> But I do think going forward, that would be a, a cool thing for the industry to do. You mentioned how the industry has changed since you first got into it. Have you noticed any other big changes in your time? Yeah, I just think it's gotten to be a younger industry. It's gotten to be um, a broader industry. At this year's Gem Awards, Stephen Webster was the MC, and he wrote this really beautiful post about inclusion on Instagram. And he was talking about how, as he looked out into the audience, he saw so much more diversity diversity that he had ever seen in that room. You know, it was not at all about making up for past injustices. It was more about like, wow, look how much richer our industry is when we broaden the inclusion and we bring groups and whether it's background or gender or whatever into this industry, you get, you know, more intelligence, you get more creativity, you get more points of view. Just this really beautiful approach, I thought, on the benefit of inclusion. And refresh us, because I think the details of this event got lost out. It's called Conversations in Park City, taking place October 14th to the 16th. Yeah. And so, you know, the background on it is, I, and I don't know, I think I spoke to you, probably both of you back in the day, but I always thought that the magazine should do a thought and opinion leader event, right? Not a trade show, but with the magazine staff leading it. Something like a Davos in the mountains or that, you know, Allen and Company in Jackson Hole. I brought that idea, presented that idea here at Jewelers Mutual. And, you know, not only did, was I given the green light, but then suddenly all these Jewelers Mutual executives, there's like so many people working on this event. So it's not my event in any way, but I, you know, I put the seed out there and we've all come together and we're making it a reality. So it's going to be a, a two-day retreat the idea is for it to be a smaller group of people than a normal events that we have throughout the year together for a relatively short period of time, but in a setting where people don't peel off and have dinner at night and take the afternoon off. And, you know, we're really all together for a short period. It's meant to be super high networking opportunities, really great. Like they have activities that people can purchase a la carte. And we want people to run into each other in five years and say, remember when we went fly fishing in Utah that year? Really like cool opportunities for networking and then really incredible content. I guess you could say sort of infotainment, like we're not going to make people work and write things on stickies and put them on the wall. We want people to sit back and relax and take content in. I'm very excited. I'm trying to create a really interesting gathering of people. And so we've got some youth coming. We've got some diversity coming. We've got people from all different aspects of the industry coming. This is this great opportunity for Jewelers Mutual to make this investment in this event and create this opportunity for us all to come together and hopefully walk away with so much to follow up on to make the industry better. So yeah, so it's October 14 to 16 and- Park City, which is- Park City, Deer Valley. Yes, the St. Regis, which is incredible. We couldn't believe it. Yeah. I'm excited. It's your old stomping, or not too far from your old stomping grounds. You're from Ogden. From whence I hail, yes. From whence you hail. So you've been looking at this industry for so long. Any thoughts you want to leave uh, people with uh, before they get their minds blown at uh, Park City? (laughs) Just that, you know, I remain really fond of this industry. And I think that's at the core of it. It's welcoming, it's friendly, it's close, it's fun, uh, it's creative. 
Yeah, I just that, you know, I hope we all just keep chugging along and we roll with the punches and we grow and we learn because I really do have a passion for an industry I never thought I would be in. Oh, thank you so much, Mark. I'm super excited for Park City. So see you in Park City. Yeah, see you uh, there. Thank you both. I, you guys, this, I do love this podcast. I do listen to it all the time. So it's really an honor to be on it. Thank you very much. Oh, we well, love you, Mark. You. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to The Jewelry District. I'm Natalie Comet, the producer of the podcast. If you liked what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you may listen. We hope you'll join us next time on The Jewelry District by JCK.